All right. Good morning. You guys ready? All right. I got one whoop. There we go. Okay. Well, while the kids are exfiltrating, we, um, we've been working through, as you know, a series on the mystery gospel, which Paul talks about a lot. Uh, this mystery gospel that's been secret since the world began, but now, since the appearance of Jesus, has been manifest, has been made known to us. And we're on our, uh, Paul listed seven specific mysteries uh, that had been revealed. And so we're working through those one at a time. We're on our third one. There's no particular order to these, but they do kind of fit together in interesting ways. So uh, we just want to jump in. I'm going to review a little bit the first two and then get to this third one because it's interesting uh, it's about a glorious new body. Anyone interested in that? How many of you are ready for a glorious new body? Who feels like they're glorious enough? <laughs> no one? Okay, good. All right. So, Lord, we, we just pray that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray you would make your word clear to us. You would make the emphasis clear. Lord, that we would understand and that it would work in us to transform us, to transform our minds in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Now, I will, spoil a little alert, I may mess with some of your eschatology this morning. Uh, if you don't know what that means, you probably don't have an eschatology. Don't worry about it. But uh, if I do, you can talk to me later, and by later, I don't mean today. And uh, just keep in mind, often the simplest, most straightforward interpretation of the Scripture is the best one. So that's where we'll be going today. Anyway, uh, we have to do it because the Scriptures are going to touch on it, so we'll, we'll get there. So I want to review. Uh, the first mystery we talked about was the mystery of God becoming flesh. And we said that this was significant because... For the first time ever, we could actually know him and imitate him. He came and showed us what God was like so that we could know him, not just know about him, and so that we could imitate him, uh, which we've discovered is fairly challenging, yeah? So, mystery two uh, that we talked about was the indwelling Christ, that Christ by his spirit would dwell in us. And not only could we know him and imitate him, but the Holy Spirit dwelling in us would actually empower us to imitate him, to give us the supernatural ability to do the things that we really don't have the ability to do in the natural. And uh, we specifically looked at Colossians 1.27, the mystery was Christ in you, the hope of glory, that because Christ now dwelt in us, we could actually have the hope that we could manifest his glory in human bodies in the earth. Amen? Yes. And we talked about in Colossians where it talks about our perfection being in him, that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete or made perfect as we abide in him. In him. And so we talked about two types of perfection, the imputed perfection, all your sins are forgiven, you have been made perfect so that you qualify for heaven, and the practical imitation of his 
of Jesus, of just that thing we talked about, that we can now imitate him. But how many of you don't have your imitation of Jesus quite perfect yet? Right. And so that is being perfected. We have been made perfect. We've been in, that perfection has been imputed to us. And we are being perfected uh, as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds to think like Jesus, to begin to act like Jesus. Right? You guys remember us covering all that. And so today, we want to talk about this glorious body, this third mystery. And where we see this is in 1 Corinthians 15. So I'm going to read a bunch of 1 Corinthians 15. You can turn there if you want. I think we'll have uh, some of it up on the slides. I'm going to skip through because it's a long chapter. I don't want to read it all. So I'm going to start with verses 20 through 23, where we learn that there will be a resurrection of the dead. And when there will be a resurrection of the dead, it's very important. It's very clear in Scripture. It is at his coming. Got to know that. That's important to remember. So, starting with verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. By fallen asleep, he means dead. Got it? For since man came, or since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. When do we get resurrected? Perfect. All right, not hard to understand. Good. <clears throat> We're going to skip down to verses 42 through 44 and then look at a couple of verses at the end of that. And find out that when we're resurrected, because he goes on in this passage, he goes, someone's going to ask me, well, what's that look like? What kind of body do we get when we get resurrected? And Paul goes, I'm glad you asked. And we'll skip right to the answer. Uh, in verse 42 through 44, he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. This is starting to sound pretty good, isn't it? Okay? And then uh, we read, uh, looking at, what do I want to look at? 47 through 49. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That just means we look like Adam, although he might have been handsomer. I don't know. Probably was. But we're same flesh. Uh, so also those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So we're going to actually look like Jesus, not just look like him, act like him, look like him, but look like him, have a body like him. I don't know if you remember, after Jesus rose from the dead, he did cool things like, uh, you know, walk through, the, the apostles had locked themselves in because they were a little nervous about what was going to happen to him. Jesus just walked through the door or the wall or whatever, and then sat down and had lunch. He had a body that could walk through walls and eat lunch. This is very versatile, <laughs> right? And keep this in mind. I'm speculating, and I will speculate some here, and I'll try to tell you when I am. I don't think he walked through walls because his body was ethereal. 
I think you walk to, through walls because the spiritual is so much more substantial than the earthly, that the earthly was ethereal. It just isn't to us. Anyway, just that's my speculation. But what we see here is we get a glorious body, and we get, uh, there's four things that we learn about this glorious body. I put these in your notes. That it's incorruptible. That sounds good. That it's glorious. Who wants a glorious body? Bam, we're in the right crowd. That it's powerful, and that it's spiritual. And when I say says spiritual here, again, I don't think it means it's an ethereal body. Uh, I think it means it's a dual access body. I think it means it's a body that can hang out in heaven and on earth, and it works both places. Uh, and maybe anywhere else in the universe. I don't know. I don't know what God has planned for all this that he's made. But uh, I want you to think about this, because there, there are people that we love, loved ones who have passed away, who are in heaven now. They're not in the grave. They're in heaven. They're with Jesus. They're doing fun stuff that we don't know what they're up to. And they have some kind of body. I don't know what that body is like, but it's not this one, because they haven't risen from the dead yet. This is a different body. So let's keep that in mind. Whatever this spiritual body is, it's very nifty and versatile. And I just, all I know is we can eat with it. I think we can go to heaven with it. I think we can be here on earth with it. I think we can walk through stuff or not. We can sit on chairs, but walk through walls. This is an awesome body. Right? Anyway, and then he gets into the mystery in verses 51 through 52, and the mystery is that we're instantly transformed as we're resurrected into this new body, and uh, again, we see when. It's at his coming, at the last trumpet. Um, I say that because we're going to read the verse. Um, it says it happens at the last trumpet. There, uh, again, simplest things are often easiest, simplest trans translations or whatever. Uh, in Revelation 11, we see the seventh trumpet, which since there's seven, that would make it the last trumpet, right? And it says, at the blowing of this trumpet, the angel declares, now the kingdoms of our Lord, I'm sorry, the kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. Sounds like there's a new sheriff in town, right? I think that's his second coming. Just coincidentally, it happens at the last trumpet. All right, I've messed with your eschatology. Let's move on. Um, so let's read these, uh, verse 51 and 52. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here it is. There's one of the mysteries Paul's mentioned. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And by all, he means us and those who've gone before. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So it's very clear that this is that, that incorruptible body, right? The dead will be raised incorruptible. Where was I at? And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Amen? And then, so what we see, yeah, okay, I'm where I want to be. So what we see is that we're instantly transformed. We get this new body. This is the mystery Paul's talking about. Now, remember we talked about how we've been made perfect in the spirit. We're being perfected in the flesh, right? As we learn to imitate Christ, as we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
So uh, I suspect, and again, I'm speculating a little here, but I have good evidence in Scripture, that this is actually the culmination of that perfection. Remember, we said, in Him, we're made perfect, right? Jesus says, in Him, we're made perfect, we're made complete. I see this, or I see the hint of this in Hebrews 11, the last two verses in Hebrews 11. Now, you know, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. It lists a bunch of guys from the Old Testament that did awesome things by faith, right? And it ends saying this, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Now, here it says the promise. Earlier in that chapter, it says the promises, plural. Uh, not sure we could argue about what the promise is. So for our purposes, let's just say it's everything Jesus got for us. Okay? That promise. Everything Jesus has provided. Uh, they hadn't received that. They, they did all these things by faith, but they hadn't received the promise. It says God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They, Abraham and Moses and all those guys listed in Hebrews 11, will not be made perfect apart from us. Now, Paul, uh, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, I'm sorry, wrote this while he was alive. He's saying those guys in heaven aren't made perfect yet, and they aren't going to be made perfect apart from me. Abraham, who is awesome, who is... Uh, a man of faith who is in heaven with Jesus right now hasn't been made perfect yet. He won't be made perfect apart from me. He doesn't get his new body until I get my new body. Do you understand? I think that's what that verse is saying. I think saying that the culmination of perfection is when we receive these new bodies. And I think God's uh, trying to get us to think about this more. Maybe we haven't thought about this enough. The apostles focused on it quite a bit. So let me give you uh, just an <coughs> pardon me, another way to think about this. You know, before Jesus came, the Bible says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Our spirit man was dead. Our flesh was rebellious and, and hard to work with. Uh, and we're just trying to follow the law, and it's not going well, right? In John 3, along comes Jesus, and he says, you must be born again of the Spirit. And we learn as we read on in John and as Jesus is crucified and rises again that we can have the Holy Spirit, that we can be born again, that we can become a new creation in Christ through His Spirit dwelling in us. So now we get the Holy Spirit in us. Our spirit has been made alive. We have a fighting chance. But what happened to our flesh? Absolutely nothing, right? We read in Galatians chapter 5, that the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another. So before, we had a dead spirit and funky flesh. Now, we have an alive spirit, but our flesh is fighting our spirit. Have you experienced this? Yeah? So let me ask you, what happens to that battle when I get an incorruptible body? I think it's gone. My flesh isn't fighting my spirit anymore. My flesh is incorruptible. It is glorious. It is powerful. Amen. It is a spiritual body. It's not, it's not pulled by the lust of the flesh anymore. 1 John says, 
uh, the world is passing away and the lust of it. Those things will pass away. That gets me a little excited. How about you? All right? So I want you to see what a big deal it is. This is the culmination of perfection, that we can literally be a heavenly man like Jesus in every aspect. And then I want to finish with what this establishes for us, uh, really a mindset that I think we need to develop. And this is important, guys. I'm not just talking about, hey, this is good information to have. This is a mindset that I think the modern church has missed and desperately needs. We need this mindset in these days more than ever. And so in verses 54 and then 58, uh, we read this. We see, uh, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, <coughs> pardon me, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to path the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Death has nothing over us. Go ahead, kill me, who cares? Death is swallowed up in victory. There's this sense of victory, uh, inevitable more than conquerors, no matter what, as long as I'm in Jesus, I have victory. There's nothing you can do about that, right? And then in verse 58, he ends with, therefore, my beloved brethren, because of all the things I've just said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because of everything I've just said, be steadfast. Don't be moved out of your position in Christ. Just keep doing the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that no matter what, whether it looks successful or not, whether it looks like I'm getting something done or not, whether I succeed, whether I'm killed, it doesn't matter because there's victory. Because death is swallowed up in victory. And so he's encouraging us to labor for the Lord with this eternal mindset of assured victory. An eternal mindset of assured victory. And this is a mindset that I think we really need to get as a church that we, we haven't always had. And by we, I say the whole modern church in the West. We need to get this eternal mindset that we are victorious and that uh, that we're focused on how it ends more than what we're going through now. Amen? And so, if, if they kill us, they kill us. Victory. Have you guys, have you guys thought about, uh, you know, if you're going to get martyred, have you prepared your last words? Anyone? See, Paul, Paul's probably thinking about these things. He's thinking about whether Christ comes or whether I die. I thought about, I, I think I'm going to go with this. I think I'm going to go with, I'll be back. <laughs> and my body will be glorious. <laughs> think? All of that's true. Isn't that awesome? Amen. You understand how that might change your mindset. See what I'm saying? Kill me. I'm coming back. I'll see you again. And guess who will be with me? So let's talk about this mindset. This, uh, <coughs> pardon me, I'm getting a little tickle from my flesh. <laughs> Ignoring it in my spirit, man. All right. Um, the mindset that we have to develop that is so important 
that the modern church has gotten a little distracted from, I think, is that it's about his coming, not our going. Yeah. Uh, again, by our going here, rapture, which is biblical. The term isn't biblical, but the concept is. Uh, and it's going to happen, but it's probably not what you've been told uh, or how it's going to happen. And the focus isn't about that. That's, that's like a minor subset of what he's talking about in every single context where the rapture is talked about. The rapture isn't the big deal. The big deal is the thing he's talking about around it. It's about his coming. And so I want you to see this. It's important because our mindset will help us navigate the days ahead. So here we go. There's a parallel passage to what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's read this. And it's also talking about this time when Jesus comes. Remember, our body, we get our new bodies when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes and we meet him and we get new bodies. It says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's dead people. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is important. When Jesus comes, who's coming with him? Those who sleep in Jesus, right? Now, uh, all right, let's keep going. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, so Paul's saying, I'm serious. This, is, this isn't just my opinion. This is the word of the Lord. This we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, no mistaking the time frame of this verse, the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. There's that trumpet again. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Understand from 1 Corinthians 15, this is us getting our new bodies, right? Thank you, sir. It's, yeah. And uh, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Hang on this. I'm going to get back to this in a minute. We shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you've been comforting yourself or someone else with the concept of escaping to heaven before everything gets bad, you're using the wrong words to comfort one another. Those are not the words that Paul gave you. These are them. Now, let's break this down a little bit. The first thing is, the first point I want you to see is, I think it's very clear biblically that the focus is on his coming. There are lots of verses that talk about his coming, really a lot. We'll look at some in the end. Um, but uh, I think the most significant ones are in the last chapter in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, in four verses, five times, God says, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. He says it five times. Twice, the church and the Holy Spirit respond and say, yes, come Lord Jesus. They do not say, yes, come get us. They say, yes, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. I'm coming. Everyone understand this? This is not difficult. Okay. So, one, the biblical focus is on his coming. Two, and here's the really important thing, we aren't going anywhere. Uh, we meet him and stay with him. Did you read that? 
We who are alive shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Where is he going? He's going to Jerusalem. He's got stuff to do there, right? There's a big army in the Valley of Megiddo that he's going to deal with, right? You guys have read this. He's coming. We meet him in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord who is coming to earth. You, you follow me? Again, not hard. Uh, so we're not going. We're meeting him, and we're staying with him. This is what we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he begins to talk about the coming of the Lord again. And he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, it is important to understand that the rapture is a gathering together to Jesus, not a going to heaven. Amen. You understand? If you go to heaven, no one will be there. Just be a couple angels tidying up. Going, hey, everyone left when Jesus left. They all, they all went down. They're being resurrected, getting their new bodies. Jesus is on his way. I'm not sure why you're here, dude. You understand? This is Bible, guys. Okay, so not only is, are we not going anywhere, but we're meeting him and staying with him. He's bringing all the other saints with him, right? Very clear. Uh, and we've seen a couple places already. Uh, I put two verses. I'm not going to read them. There's <coughs> pardon me, two verses in there that <coughs> tell you. Uh, one of them I love, the one in Jude, where because he's quoting Enoch. We don't have that book in our Bible, but you can go read it. Where it, it Enoch, way back, uh, saw Jesus coming with thousands upon thousands of his saints, tens of thousands of his saints. Like that was pretty prophetic, dude. Uh, anyway. It's clear he's bringing all the other saints with him. He's emptying heaven. He's raising the dead. Anyone who's left on earth is going up with him. We're all getting new bodies. You got it? All right. And third, he's coming to rule the earth. He's not coming to get us. He's coming to rule the earth, and we're going to join him. We see this in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Again, I'm not going to read it. I'll just paraphrase but you see Jesus on a white horse looking awesome, and it says he's going to rule the nations of the earth with a rod of iron, right? And guess what else it says? It says the armies of heaven follow him on white horses. Who's that? All those saints that have been hanging around. You get, not only do you get a new body, you get a pony. Amen. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, I'm like, you know, forget when the saints come marching in. Someone write a song about when the saints come riding down. I want to be in that number. That sounds awesome. Amen? So, new bodies, horses, he's coming to rule the earth. And in case it's not clear, we're coming to rule the earth with him. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. He has made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign, finish it for me, on the earth. Tells us where. This is not that hard. He has made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth, 
on the earth. Now, I think we still get to go to heaven. I still, I still am thinking about that dual access new body. I don't know how that works. Maybe we just maybe we only work Monday through Friday on the weekends. We can go to heaven. I don't know. <laughs> or there's split shifts. The point is, we're coming with Him to earth to rule with Him, and we're supposed to comfort ourselves with these words. This is the stuff we're supposed to be thinking about. All right. Now, the point is, finally, we're <coughs> coming to rule with him on the earth. We are partnering with him to redeem the entire planet. Jesus is coming back, and we're coming back with him, and we're partnering with him to redeem the planet. You want to, you know, we have the ultimate green agenda. You know, you got friends that drive a Prius and recycle. Go ahead. <laughs> That's great, but I, me and a bunch of my buddies are coming back and we're going to fix everything that's broken in the earth. That's our green, you know, whatever, recycle plan. We're fixing it all. Don't believe me? Romans 8, 18 through 23. Read this in light of what we've been talking about because as we're going to see at the end of this passage, it's exactly this context, this new body context that we're talking about. Paul He's writing here, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Well, when's that, Paul? When we get our glorious new bodies. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Aren't we already sons of God? Yes. But what's being revealed? Well, the sons of God with their new bodies. That's what's being revealed the glorious sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The earth is very excited about us getting our new bodies and fixing stuff up. Amen? For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Wait, haven't we already been adopted? Aren't we already adopted children of God? Well, no, the redemption of our body. You see it? What's Paul talking about? He's talking about when we get these new awesome bodies. The redemption of our body. Our, even he says, even our bodies are groaning within ourselves, eagerly waiting for this. I'm not perfected yet. I'm not complete. This spirit is supposed to live in a spiritual body that's awesome. And we groan for that. And the earth groans for that. Come fix us with your new spiritual bodies. And this is the stuff we're supposed to be thinking about. This is the mindset that is so important. We're not to focus on the stuff happening around us or escaping all the stuff that's going to happen around us, we're to focus on his coming and our transformation when he comes. That's important. That's supposed to be our focus because, as Paul tells us, it is comforting. We just saw that in the passage we just read out of 1 Thessalonians 4, right? Comfort one another with these words. This is supposed to be a comfort to each other, especially when we're going through trials, right? You're going to get a new body. It doesn't matter. You're coming back, and you're going to be glorious. It's going to be awesome. 
comfort one another with these words. It's also motivating. Paul said, focus on this. John said it also, because it's comforting and it's motivating. And I want to look at six passages in Scripture where Paul uses this or where John uses this to motivate us. And you only have five in your notes because Gary read one on Thursday. And I went, dang it, I missed that one. That's good. Uh, and I'd already printed out your notes. So it's just in mine, but you can write it down. It's Colossians 3, uh, verses 2 through 4. Anyway, let's look at these. And I just want you to see the focus here, how Paul and John and the apostles are encouraging us to focus on his coming and what happens to us when he comes. What's John 2, 28? And now little children, we're his children, abide in him, stay in him. Why? Why is it so important, John, that we stay in Jesus? Well, when he appears so that you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Stay in him, guys, because he's coming, and when he comes, I want you to be confident and not ashamed because you drifted off and went, ooh, there he is. I wasn't ready for that. A lot of other, I'm going to resist going to, you know, Matthew 24 and 25 and all the other verses about being ready. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, motivate yourself with this. He's going to appear, and you're going to stand before him, and you can do it confidently if you'll just stay with him. Amen? 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So right now we're children of God. We're going to be something else. John doesn't fully understand what that looks like. I don't fully understand what that looks like. This new body, this new something else. But he knows a little bit about it. He says, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. So I don't know what it looks like, but we're going to be like Jesus. And then Paul goes, or I'm sorry, John goes on, says, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You hear what John's saying? Guys, if you'll picture that you're going to see Jesus and you're going to be like him, and if you'll let that build hope in you, it will cause you to start to purify yourself now before it happens. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. It'll cause you to want to live towards that now if you'll set that before you. Amen? <coughs> Pardon me, sorry about that. First Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For you are our glory and our joy. Now I want you to think about this. How many of you have led someone to the Lord at any point in your life? Yeah. Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, and he's going, hey, you know what I think about? You know what gives me joy? You know what causes me to rejoice? I think about when Jesus comes, and I'm on my horse, and I look over, and I go, there's those Thessalonians. And they're looking back at me, and we're going, yeah, we made it. New bodies. Can you do that right now? Just take a moment. Think about that person. I'm thinking about a guy over 30 years ago when I was teaching high school, a little guy, 
young guy led the Lord. Haven't seen him since. Since I quit teaching there. Thinking about what it'll be like to be on my horse and look over, and there he is. And I'm going, dude. Paul's going, I think about that now. I think about you guys and me being together in the presence of the Lord when he comes. I wonder what that does to you. It might make you want to go get some more people, horses. Yeah? That motivate you? This is the way Paul fought. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Guess what day he means? Yep, the day he comes. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Do you think about his appearing? Does that excite you? Jesus, I've come, Lord Jesus. Stand on the earth. I love your appearing. I want you to appear on the earth. I want the earth to see you. Paul said there's a crown of righteousness for that. In 1 Peter 5, he talks about the same thing, that at the appearing or coming of the Lord Jesus, we receive a crown of glory. Crown of glory. Crown of righteousness. Revelation 22, verse 12, one of those passages where he says, I'm coming quickly. He says, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me coming, I've got horses, and I've got crowns, and new bodies, and maybe other stuff. I don't know. That's all I know so far. Horses, crowns, and new bodies. His reward is with him. Think about these things. Paul's thinking about these things. He's going, I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. Why? Because I'm thinking about Jesus coming, and the crown of glory laid up for me, and my horse. Whatever. Whatever works for you. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Why? That sounds like a lot of effort. Why am I doing that, Paul? Why am I denying all this good stuff? that I can do in living soberly, righteously, and godly. Paul says, well, you're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what's motivating you. You're looking at that. You're fixing your eyes on Jesus, and he's coming. And when he comes, you're going to be changed. Get the mindset? One more. Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Why, Paul? Why should I set my mind on things above? I've got bills. I've got problems. I've got kids. I've got lots of stuff to worry about here. Why? Paul says, well, two reasons. First, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Second, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Oh. So that sounds motivating, doesn't it? You hear what he's saying? Set your mind on things above. Why? Because you died anyway. This earth doesn't matter. You're looking past that to when he appears, and you also appear with him in glory. In, we read Romans 8, verses 18 through 23. <coughs> the uh, passage right before that, Romans 8, 17, says, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. We die because 
we're going to be glorified. We just go, yeah, that's just the stuff of this life. I'm suffering with him because I'm thinking about when he comes and the glory that's going to be revealed in me. I'm going to be glorified with Jesus. The devil will want to tell you it's not worth it. Uh, he'll want to tell you what a victim you are, how hard it is for you to be a Christian, how mean people are being to you. FOMO, look at all the things you're missing out on that other people get to do. Oh, you, you, you got to just kick back and have a little fun and not worry about it. And don't rock the boat. Just Paul, on the other hand, is saying nothing, nothing, nothing compares to the glory that's going to be revealed in me. None of that appeals to me. I am thinking about when Jesus comes and who I'm going to be. And I'm thinking about reigning on the earth. You ever think about reigning on the earth? Might be Palm Bay. Maybe you'll get to reign somewhere with mountains or trees or something. Uh, Rachel's going to put mountains in Palm Bay. Stay tuned. My point, guys, is that it just isn't just a minor thing. This is a mindset. We're supposed to be thinking about these things. We're not supposed to be thinking, of, um, you know, and again, pay your bills, you know, discipline your kids, all that stuff. You still got to do that. But this is what's supposed to captivate us, where we're headed, not where we are. Yes, we're going to be made perfect. We're going to get perfect bodies. We have victory no matter what. This is awesome stuff. Amen. So let's just pray, and let's just take a moment. Jesus, we do. We just take a moment to ponder what you have done for us. Lord, that you have made us perfect, that you have given us your spirit. Lord, that you're going to give us perfect bodies. Lord, that we're going to reign, that we're going to be uh, free from the pull of the lust of the flesh, that we're going to be able to restore the earth in righteousness, that we're all going to be perfected together. Lord, I pray you make that day real to us, the more so as we're going through trials, as we're going through difficulties. Lord, we ask you to make that day real to us. That that would motivate us. That that would comfort us. Lord, I'm excited if I die before you come about seeing friends and loved ones in heaven. I am way more excited if you come before I die to meet him in the air. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Or we're going to be there. Everybody in this room, together. Meeting Jesus in the air. Being the army of heaven, following Jesus to the earth, watching him destroy those who destroyed the earth and fix everything. What an awesome vision. Lord, let us not be distracted by small visions and small problems in the light of who we are becoming. Lord, we set ourselves apart now. We purify ourselves now because we see where you're taking us. Thank you, Jesus.